Amen. So uh, today I have the privilege of beginning a brand new sermon series that we're simply calling Let's Talk About Sex. Let's Talk About Sex. It's interesting whenever you just mention that word, people, even, you know, serious people, seasoned Christians, they just sort of giggle a little bit when you say the word sex. But specifically today, we want to begin this series uh, uh, called Let's Talk About Sex. And this series is designed to be to take a very straightforward look at sex and sexuality, specifically from the Christian perspective. I'll say that again, a very straightforward uh, look at sex and sexuality, specifically from the Christian perspective. Throughout this series, which will span a number of weeks, we just put a PG-13 uh, rating on this um, on this sermon series, not because we want to be unduly controversial or unduly just sort of uh, saying whatever we want to say, but I do want the freedom to just speak on these issues without the fear of, you know, accelerating any timeline you had with regard to when you want to speak to your children about this. So I just want to be upfront. We've even posted signs to just say, listen, for the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with a mature subject matter. Listen, you want your teenagers in here. You want them to hear it um, from a Christian godly source. You want to shape their perspective on this uh, in church. So I would recommend that you do bring your teenagers, but anybody under sort of thir- the age of 13, I would, uh, I would uh, um, advise you to exercise caution and use good judgment. But you know, some of you may have the qu- may ask the question, why are we talking about this stuff in church? Why are we dealing with the issue of sex and sexuality in church? Why, you know, why are we dealing with that? And I believe that if we don't get our sexuality right, if we don't get our outlook and our perspective and our worldview uh, correct on sex and sexuality, listen, a lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. And many of you are sitting here today with a very checkered sexual past, and you realize how you can be saddled with brokenness and baggage as you go through your life, as you go through your teenage, your 20s, uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and even your uh, late adult life if you don't get some things right at the front end, right? So I'm a, I'm a fan of looking at God's Word, especially on these high-stakes issues I don't want any gray area. I don't want any wiggle room. I want to focus in on these things. And we've just been taking some very bold looks at some stuff, some, some things this summer. And we want to deal with this very specific issue over the next few weeks, talking about sex and sexuality, specifically from a Christian perspective. The reality is we will all shape our own sexual ethic, right? We will all shape our own sexual ethic one way or the other. And our sexual ethics simply deals with uh, what we consider moral or immoral. And the word moral is defined as uh, being concerned with the principles of, of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of human character, right? That's our morality, right? So when we start dealing with ethics, ethics is simply a set of moral principles, especially ones relating to or affirming a specific group, field, or form of conduct. So when we talk about a Christian sexual ethic, we're talking about a set of morals, a set of values, particularly that deal with the rightness or the wrongness of certain behaviors, attitudes, and outlooks. And that's what we're specifically focusing in on today, right? So we will all uh, sort of have a set of what's right and what's wrong in life in general, specifically as it relates to our own life and how we view the world around us. We will especially develop this, either a healthy or unhealthy one, as it relates to our sexual ethic. And since we're all responsible for developing our own sexual ethic one way or another, we really have to be considerate of where that comes from. (laughs) 
We really have to be aware of what's shaping that, right? So I, especially when it comes to sexuality and sin and sexual brokenness, listen, I don't want to spend a whole lot of my pastoral energy and effort managing symptoms or policing behaviors. You know, we can run ourselves ragged doing that. Okay, stop doing that. Okay, don't look at that. Don't do that with your body. Don't do that. Listen, let's manage all of these behaviors or we can deal with the issue at the very root. And I don't know how many of you recognize this by now, but there's a battlefield going on in your mind. There's war that's been waged for your mind. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time managing behavior. That's a short-term solution, and sometimes it's necessary in the short term. But generally speaking, I want to go to where God wants to go, and that is your mind. Paul says in Romans 12, submit your bodies to Christ as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, right? Submit yourself to God. Does he, how does he say to do that? By changing all your wrong behaviors? He says, no, let God change what? The way you think. Let them deal with the guts. Let them deal with your CPU. Let them deal with the brains of the thing because it's in the seat of that where all this stuff can go wonderfully right or terribly wrong. I've titled this message this morning, Developing a Christ-Centered Sexual Ethic. Developing a Christ-Centered Sexual Ethic. We're going to deal with Christian sexual ethic. That is basically a sexual ethic that has been shaped and informed by the word of God. And whenever I teach on this subject, I typically use just as a reference point, as a guide, the frequently asked questions I get from the people that I, you know, share space with, the the teenagers that ask these questions a lot. Even many of you have questions. And basically when I'm talking to you guys, I'm using your frequently asked questions or the things that you typically ponder as just sort of a general guideline to help me shape this. And like I said before, as we're dealing with sensitive subject matter, so if you have small children, I just want to advise you that this is a probably good, good time to take them to children's church. I know this is sensitive subject matter, so I'm just going to invite the Lord's presence before I begin today. Lord, thank you so much. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you, Lord, that it doesn't just sort of dance around and meander around the tough issues, but rather it cuts through to where we, where we live. It speaks to the issues that we have. It speaks to the dysfunction. It speaks to the things that will trip us up. So, Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, as we embrace your truth, Lord, I just pray that you would bring freedom today. I pray that you would bring healing. I pray that you would bring wholeness. I pray that any distractions, anything that the enemy might do to to distract us today, Father, I just ask that you would just come and cut it down. Lord, put power in these words that you've given me to speak. May your truth and your light shine through We ask all these things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So I already told you this morning that we will all shape our own sexual ethic one way or other. I think the burning question that remains for us is, what method will we choose? What method will we choose? How will we go about shaping our own sexual ethic? I think when we answer that question, I think we have to ask, you deal with two or three aspects of how or the method, right? That's sort of how, who, and when. Say how, who, and when. Okay. So first, how, as it relates to the method. I think there's two choices. We can actively pursue it, or we can passively do it. We can actively get involved in shaping our own sexual ethic, or we can just sort of passively do it. When I say actively, we can study, we can investigate, we can look into ourselves, we can look into this matter. We can work hard to raise our awareness for these things. We can ponder these things. We can pray about it. We can ask people about it that we trust. 
We can actively get involved in shaping our own sexual ethic, or we can do the opposite, is that we can sort of let life happen to us. We can just sort of flop down the lazy river of our sexuality, and whatever happens, happens. Whatever we bump into, you know, we bump into. Whatever, you know, waves splash into the boat, we can just sort of let that happen. And some of you have lived your life that way. You've just floated down the lazy river of your sexuality, letting whatever happened, happen. I've never seen that work, by the way. I've never seen that work. So when we consider the how, we can actively do it or we can passively do it. Then we get to the matter of who. Who shapes our sexual ethic? Well, you can let God do it, especially as followers of Jesus. Citizens of the kingdom of God, you can let God do it. You can let his standard, his culture, his word, his principle, his boundaries, you can let that shape your sexual ethic. Or you can do the opposite and you can let all this culture shape it. You can let the world we live in, you can let magazines, you can let the porn industry, you can let your friends, pop culture, you can let that sort of shape your sexual ethic because they, they do a great job at creating wholesome human beings. They, they, they turn out, you know, well-rounded human beings all the time. If you use the curriculum of magazines and this pop culture that we live in, you can let God do it or you can let the culture do it. I think you have a choice as to when you do it. You can do it now, right? You can do it now for some of you when you're young, when you're in your teenage years or your preteen years or your early 20s. You can do it now. You can do it now. You can look into this matter now. You can actively let God do it now. Or you can can do the opposite. You You can do it later. You can do it later when you're in that compromising situation. You can do it when the windows are fogged up. And underwear around the ankles. You can do it when you're already in the hotel room. Or you can do it on your prom night, you know, when, when, when things are hot and heavy. You can, you can do it then, or you can do it now. We've got all these choices to make as to how we, what method we choose to shape our sexual ethic. If you're smart, if you want to get this right, you'll choose the perfect combination. You'll actively let God shape your sexual ethic right I'll say that again. You'll actively, not passively, let God, not this culture, shape your sexual ethic right now and not later. As I work through this material, I want to begin with some basic assumptions. If you've ever heard any sermons on this subject, you know that it can go any number of ways. I could spend 20 weeks on this, uh, this subject and still not scratch the surface. I want to go a particular direction today. So I just want to begin with some basic assumptions just so you know what I come to the table with today. The first basic assumption is that God has the final say. In the life of a Christian, if we don't start there on just on every issue, we're going to really we're going to end up in space somewhere floating around. I believe that God has the final say. I believe that his word is not silent on this topic. And that if if we understand that God has the final say, then we will lean into his word. We you know, we will lean into his word to hear what he has to say about this specific subject and let it speak to our specific life, no matter where we are, whether we're single, married, divorced, widow, whatever, we'll let God's word be the authority on who we are and where we're going. That's the second basic assumption that I'm going to make today is that sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. And some of you go, yeah, it's good. I don't mean it that way. I mean it that it's a good thing and that it's not evil. 
And some of you say, well, of course it's a good thing. Well, it's not that obvious to those with, with, with a history full of sexual brokenness. It's not obvious to those who grew up in church settings that, that didn't talk about sex. So all, they, all you heard of sex was this sort of, it's this naughty thing that you better not do. And that we don't talk about that because that's naughty. We don't deal with that stuff because that's icky, right? So if you come up that way or you've just been just in, in the midst of a lot of sexual brokenness, you've been abused, your outlook on sex is very different. It's very bad. It's something shameful. It's something that makes us blush. It's, it's this bad thing all of a sudden. I'm here to tell you that look in the Bible. Read the scriptures. It's one of the, one of the God's greatest creations. I said, God, you, you were on top of it when you, were, when, you, when you created that. You were on to something. It's fantastic, man. But unlike, <laughs> but much like many of the good things, right, Satan loves to get his hands on it and corrupt it and distort it. And all of a sudden, something that we're supposed to enjoy, something that we're supposed to do the right way, and something we're supposed to glory in, all of a sudden gets this sticker, and all of a sudden it's a bad thing. Let's, no, sex is a good thing. God created it, and it was good. Amen? Sex is a good thing. I also say, listen, this is another basic assumption. I'm coming to the table with an understanding that there's a right way to manage your sexuality and a wrong way. Forget about all this gray area. Forget, all, forget about all this rel, you know, relativity. There's a right way to do it, according to God's word, and there's a wrong way to do it. Let's just all agree on that as we move forward. And finally, the basic assumption is there is forgiveness for any uh, sexual brokenness or any sexual sin that you've created, uh, that, you, that you've committed in your life. I want you to know that we preach good news at this church. Now, we're going to get into some stuff. The light of the word will shine itself on every area of life, especially those areas that are dark and broken. But there's good news. We preach good news. There's freedom. There's liberty. And if you have a checkered sexual history, listen, nothing that the blood of Jesus can't cover. So let's understand as we work through this material, even though some of it may be convicting, even though some of it may read your mail today, there's hope and there's redemption. There's forgiveness. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to carry that baggage along with you, okay? So let's agree uh, that this is where I'm coming from this morning as I deal with this very difficult issue. All right? So let's go. You ready to do it? Okay, I want you to understand off the top here that God sets a very high bar. And that not only relates to sexuality and sex, that relates to life in general. If you look at the bar that the culture sets, it's very low compared to God's. God tells us, listen, come and die to yourself. Come and die to all the things that you instinctively want to do. Came out of the package, sinful and selfish. Jesus says, listen, come and die to that stuff and, and meet the mark that I've set for you. Right? So God's standard is high. It is especially high on this issue as it relates to sex and sexuality. If you consider the bar that God sets and the bar that the culture sets, there's a huge gap between them. The difference is that the culture usually mirrors uh, the laws regarding sexuality. In other words, the bar that the culture sets is usually mirrors what the laws are. And it seems to me that the only thing that the law says is just make sure that any sex that you get into, just make sure the person agrees to it. Make sure you have consent. All right, and it's even built into this whole laws of consent. Make sure the person is of age, but basically that's the only bar. Make sure the person that you're engaging in sexual activity with is okay with it. That's the only real standard, right? 
Now, when you bring, <laughs> when you bring Jesus' standard to the table, all of a sudden there's a huge you know, set of criteria. There's a huge uh, set of uh, principles and statutes and standards as it relates to sexuality. And it's no wonder that people bristle when Christians bring their standards to the table, when we set forth the standard that Jesus brings. Because, listen, ask a whole lot more of you than make sure the person agrees with the sexual encounter. It puts some boundaries up. It brings those things. It says, no, that's, too, that's just too much wiggle room. You're going to kill yourself. That's too much rope. You're going to hang yourself. And Jesus reigns those things and he brings those boundaries in. He raises the bar says, no, no, no. If you want to have a successful, su- successful life, if you don't want to be saddled with all sorts of baggage and all sorts of junk and all sorts of relational brokenness, listen, rein this stuff in. Listen, this is a high bar I set for you here. So don't be confused about why the world hates this standard. Don't be confused by, about how people feel like we're belittling them or how we're judging them because God is asking a lot from us. Not just in this particular area, but he sets a high standard. And many, many people fall short of it. Many Christians fall short of it. And I think to really understand what God sets uh, forth in Scripture as it relates to this issue, particularly having a a healthy sexuality, a healthy outlook, a healthy worldview on sex, I think it's important that we understand a term that the Bible uses often, and that's sexual immorality. Right? Sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? The Bible throws that around a lot. What is considered sexually immoral? I think of uh, one passage in Scripture, particularly Matthew chapter 5, verses 27, is a very good starting point for understanding what what sexual immorality is uh, by God's standard. And I just want to look there for a second and pull a few things out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. We've asked the question, what is sexually immoral? Where does God draw the boundary lines? If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of the rows. Uh, Feel free to take those Bibles if you don't have one. We'll also be projecting it. On the screens. Matthew chapter 5. Let's start at verse 27. And this is Jesus talking. He says, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown excuse me, into hell. What, I mean, this is just a few verses here, but these verses pack a punch. These verses offend the, the very nature of humanity. That wants to be sort of polygamous. We want to play the field. We want to have our options open. We don't want to be, you know, reined in too much. And Jesus speaks to this whole issue of what is sexually immoral. He shines the light of his truth on what this means for us. And I think it's important to understand that even though this passage sort of deal, it seems like it's only talking to men, Jesus is talking to all of us. Understand that, you know, Jesus was speaking to a male audience and even in the culture that they deal with only sort of interacted with males and sort of focused on the male. But this passage is for everybody. Men, women, singles, married, whether you're widowed, divorced, everyone. And this is a great starting point if you want to uh, to develop a Christ-centered sexual ethic. This is a great starting point, right? 
So Jesus does three things that we need to zero in on. Jesus sort of zeroes in on three things that are vitally important. And I just want to pull those out real quick. First of all, Jesus identifies the obvious. He identifies the obvious. Verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Now understand, Jesus isn't doing away with that. He's just reminding them of this. And he'll go on to further define what that means. But I think it's very important because sometimes we just, we're trying to look for deeper meanings in this. What is is this really saying? What does Jesus really mean when he says don't commit? Let me get the concordance out, you know. Let Let me Google search this. Let's see what Matthew Henry has to say about this. No, it means don't commit adultery. It means don't commit adultery. It means sex between a married person and someone who is not that person's spouse. Listen, that's off limits. And one of the things I love about scripture, especially passages like this, is that Jesus doesn't leave us groping in the dark, especially on the issues that count. Especially on the issues that count. And some of us have taken to trying to complicate this as to find some wiggle room, and I just don't see much in this passage. And Jesus identifies the obvious. He points out the low-hanging fruit. He says, listen, sex is between a man and a woman. Sex is between two married people. Let's get that straight. He points out the obvious. He points out what's black and white. And whenever the scriptures do that, I I lean in, man, and I write it on my heart because there's some passages of scripture, there's some ideas that aren't that clear. But when we find one that is, listen, zero in on it, and Jesus does that for us. He identifies the obvious. You must not commit adultery. He repeats that commandment. But we have to understand a lot of this stuff as it relates to this issue of sex and sexuality is not black and white. Can we agree on that? It's not very easy to decipher sometimes. So Jesus does a second thing here that I think is very important, and he, he attacks the gray area. He attacks the gray area. I say he attacks the gray area, and I think this is huge. Jesus continues in verse 28, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. And I hear people go, oh, man, why'd you have to say that? Why didn't we keep that gray? Why didn't we keep that undefined? And why didn't we keep that ambiguous? Jesus says, this matters so much. I want you to get this so much that I want to eliminate as much gray as possible. And I just say in my own life, listen, the gray area annoys me. It, it annoys me. In virtually every area of life, I try to remove the gray area. I'm talking to somebody, say, hey, man, what time do you want me to meet you there? Oh, just meet me there around 7 or 8. No, 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 no. When do you want me to meet you there? Oh, let's just kind of wander in at about around 8, you know. I don't know what your standards are for time. Let's take the universal clock that somebody set up, and let's, let's, let's dial in the time so we can meet. Because some people, when they say, I'll be there around 8, that could be anywhere from 8 to midnight depending on who you're dealing with, right? And any, every of my life, I just, great, it just annoys me. It's just, I just feel like I'm swimming in this sort of ambient fluid, man. I want, I want to nail some things down. And I find that the more gray area that I have in my life, the more I mess up. The more wiggle room that I have, the more, that's, you know, the more stuff that's undefined, the more, the more I mess up. Especially when it comes to this high-stakes stuff like our sexuality. Like our relationships with God, like, like what he expects from us, man. I, I want to eliminate as much gray as possible. 
So when I read this, I go, man, that's another boundary. <laughs> man, that's another, that's another place that God says, don't do that. But I'm glad about that because it takes away some of this gray area. It deals with the gray area. And Jesus is highlighting both extremes. He highlights the obvious and he highlights the, the, the sort of the other extreme, which is some of the more ambient, undefined stuff. So the obvious would be the act of adultery, the physical act, the dirty deed, actually, actually there in person, sleeping with somebody that you're not married to. And the other extreme that he identifies is the thought. The thought, the things that we don't even have to tell anybody about if we don't want to. We could just keep that between me and me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going I'm to say, listen, this is the boundary. That extreme, the actual deed, and that extreme, the thought. Right? Because we do way more damage up here than we actually do out here. And a lot of the stuff that we've actually got into, guess where it started? It started up here. You play that thing from very, every angle. You mapped it out. You planned it out. Boy, if, if, if this stuff got out, somebody would be in trouble. And Jesus says, I want to deal with, what's, I want to deal with what nobody can see. I want to deal with the gray area. I want to deal with that stuff so that you can be free. I want to deal with that. And the third thing that Jesus does is Jesus demands that we take action. He demands that we take action. So I already highlighted the obvious. Listen, explicitly don't do this. He's highlighted the gray area. He attacked it. He said, listen, the thought is like you're doing the deed, man. You look at a man or a woman. You look at somebody with lust in your eyes. Listen, you've done the deed, right? So what does Jesus say? Does he leave it there? No, he continues. He says, listen, take some action. Deal with this stuff. You can memorize the Bible backwards and forwards. You can get the original Greek and Hebrew and memorize it until you turn blue. You can be able to write it backwards if you want to. Say it in different languages. It means absolutely nothing if you don't take some action. It means absolutely nothing. You don't put some legs on what you've learned. You don't internalize these principles and walk them out and take action. Limit the spaces and the places where you can mess up. Limit the opportunities that you have to to ruin your life and to sin against holy God. Jesus demands that we take action. And he does so in verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, I think that's there for a reason, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Boy, that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. And Jesus says, not enough just to know what's wrong and what's right. Not, re- not enough to just internalize these sets of rules. No, how Jesus knows that these things have taken hold in your life is, is how you live it out. How you embrace these actions. And he seems to understand the reality that we will be drawn to negative sexual things. Seems to understand that it's natural that we will have a desire to step outside of our marriage or have a desire to engage in premarital sex or have a desire to practice these sort of sexually deviant behaviors. Jesus seems, that seems to be like a given, right? So he seems to lean into us, knowing that we will have these tendencies, knowing that we'll have these leanings, and he gives us a prescription as to how to deal with this. And he says, take 
action. It says if your eye, your good eye causes you to lust, which is sin, you've done the deed. If, you, and, you know, if you've done it in your mind, you've done it. Jesus says if your good eye causes you to sin, you better get a spoon and gouge it out. A spoon, whatever instrument you choose. It's curved, you know. Anyway. But listen, it's interesting that Jesus seems to be going after things that seem like necessary to us. Like our eyes, right? The last thing we will want to willfully get rid of, especially our good eye. And what is Jesus saying? He says, listen, not no matter how important it is to you. No matter how necessary it seems to you. If it's causing you to sin, if it's causing you to stumble... If it's causing you to violate the principles and standards that God has set forth in Scripture, then you need to do away with it and do so quickly and do so ruthlessly. Deal with it. Say, I need my eyes to see. And the Lord says, listen, would you rather see, you know, the route into hell? Or would you rather make it in there with one eye and and, and be righteous before the Lord? He says, what do you want? What do you want more, to be righteous or to be able to see? He says, deal with it. Take some action. He says, your hand, even, even your good hand, it's necessary. I got to work. I got to earn a living, right? I got to be functional. I got to be functional. And what is Jesus saying? Whatever is causing you to sin sexually, whatever is causing you to do that, you better deal with it. You better lean into it. You better cut it off. You better deal with it. And I want that to sink in for a second because some of you have jobs, very good paying jobs. But they expose you to elements that aren't good for you. Some guys, you find that you have a, you know, you have a, you know, this thing for pornography, but you have a job where you travel a lot and you're on the road a lot and you're in a hotel room by yourself a lot and you're, you know, listen. Some of you can't handle that type of job. I know the pay is great. I know the benefits are great. I know the perks are great. But we're talking about your soul here. Some of you have situations or friendships that constantly put you in harm's way as it relates to your sexual ethic. Constantly causing you to, 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 to offend the Lord and offend yourself. Constantly causing you to compromise your values. Listen, God, God says, I don't care who it is. It can be your dear, sweet mama. If it causes you to stumble, deal with it. Some of you have cable, and cable's not a bad thing if you can handle cable. But some of you, you don't need those premium channels with all those premium stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you just aren't strong enough for that. Fail over and over and over. Constant cycle of falling and repenting and falling and repenting and guilt and shame and all this. And Jesus would say, why don't you call Comcast and tell them no thanks? Some of you can't have internet on your phone. You're just not strong enough for it. It's like I didn't need my data package and get my email. Listen, listen, is it causing you to stumble? Is Is it causing you to fall? Is it causing you to sin before holy God? Is it compromising your sexual ethics? Then the Lord says, deal with it. Deal with it now. Now, there's very specific implications. I know I have your attention now. 
There's very specific implications for this. And many of us, if you just span the audience, we, many of us are in different stages of life. Some of us are single. Some of us are married. Some of us are widowed. Some of us are divorced. You know, and everything else in between. But I think this passage sort of speaks to us in a different way, you know, depending on where we are in life. And I just want to take some time to, 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 to apply this and to help you understand how to, how, to, how to walk this out in your life, right? So I, how do we walk this out? How do we internalize what Jesus is saying here as it relates to the obvious, the gray area, and taking some action? How do we, how do we internalize this? Well, I think this has implications for the single person. The single person, let me tell you, I admire single people, especially people who decide that they're going to follow Jesus and they're going to serve God in their singleness. I just, I just, I've been, I was single a long time before I got married. I just know how difficult that is. But if you want to thrive as a Christian single, if you don't want to be saddled with all of the sexual brokenness and stuff, I think we really got to get some things right. I think we really need to let God shape our sexual ethic on this, Right? So Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, there's some obvious stuff that we need to embrace, right? Jesus identifies the obvious. And the obvious for the single person is no sex means no sex. Can I say that again? No sex means no sex. We don't have to quarrel about it. We don't have to ask, well, what did he really mean when he said that? (laughs) Was he talking about Saturdays? You know, because Saturdays is a... A good day to take a break. <laughs> no, no sex means no sex. Black and white, friends. Black and white. But we know there's some gray when you're single, right? There's some gray with all of us. You say, well, Pastor, well, no, how far is too far? You know, my personal goal is to not have, you know, genital sex <laughs> before I'm married. That's a tangled term, isn't it? Sex before I'm, before I'm married, but whoa, 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 how far is too far? How close to this line can I get before the angels come and drag me back? <laughs> I, I just sort of smile whenever I hear that question. If, if you're asking that question, then we've already gone too far. But since it's out there, I'll just go ahead and answer it. I think God prohibits all sex and all lust outside of marriage. You can be clear on that. And a lot of this stuff that we've given ourselves a pass on, because we think we're not doing what God said not to do, it, we're really, we're really, I mean, we, we're in that gray area, right? Right? You'll be sexually aroused. If you're sexually aroused, if you're into it to the degree that it's causing sexual arousal, then you're in the danger zone. If Jesus identifies the thought as sinful... And if Jesus identifies the thought, the fantasy, the thought as sinful and selfish and the equivalent of actually committing the act of adultery, what do you think he thinks of heavy petting, oral sex, and all this other stuff? What do you you think God thinks about? Use use your best judgment. I don't mean that to be funny or condescending. I'm just saying, listen, a lot of this stuff, we've made up our own rules. We've, we've, We've built in trap doors to all these things that Jesus has built airtight. Jesus says, I didn't put that door there. Don't you go put any trap doors there. Don't you go making any exceptions. Because whether you do it or not, the actual, you know, sexual intercourse or not, I'm concerned about your heart. I'm I'm concerned about how closely you adhere to my standard. It's because the standard that I put in mind, the boundaries that I've set forth, will keep you from ruining your life and ruining your relationships. 
So if you're a single person, Jesus wants you to ruthlessly attack the gray area. Ruthly, ruthlessly deal with this just sort of making out that we've allowed to do. This heavy kissing and this pornography and this fooling around and this masturbation. All sex, all lust outside of marriage is sin. Can we deal with the gray area today? So we've dealt with the obvious. We've dealt with the gray area as a, as a, as a Christian single. Now, we've got to take action. What, what, what are some things that you might need to do now, now that you know the truth? You're also acquainted with the areas where you routinely struggle and fall. What action steps might you take now? You might have to get rid of some stuff. You might have to get rid of some of those movies in your collection. You might have to get rid of some friends that don't seem to be adding much to your life and only causing you to go down this path of destruction, only causing you to compromise your, your, your beliefs and compromise your integrity before the Lord. You might have to do away with some relationships. You might have to write off just sort of casually, us casual, let's see what happens dating. Because many of you, that hasn't served you well. He said, okay, this time, I'm not going to sleep with this person. I'm just going to go out. I'm just going to have, you know, coffee. And this, you know, listen, look behind you. You haven't done well with that. Right? You haven't done well with that. You've always ended up doing something shameful, always ended up, you know, messing up your integrity and feeling shame and guilt. Listen, the Lord says, listen, look behind you. Look at your track record. Look at where you're weak. And this will change some things. Change some things. Change some things. You might have to begin to say up front when you meet somebody what your goals are, where your boundaries are. And listen, if the joker doesn't jive with that, if he has a problem with what Jesus said you should do, guess what? There's, there's your son. There's your son. I'm not trivializing this because I know it's difficult to be single, especially if you've been single for a while. And loneliness sets in. And all of a sudden, your standards used to be up here. You know, he's got to have a car. He's got to have a job. He's got to, you know, make this salary and this, that, and the other. And before long, it's just like, you know, he just needs to be breathing. <laughs> Preferably, you know, not assisted by some type of machine, you know. So I'm not insensitive to how loneliness can set in and cause you to fall and cause you to lower yourself. I'm not insensitive to that. But listen, you want to make it or you don't? You want to honor the Lord with your body and your sexuality or, or do you you want to cross the finish line and have Jesus say, well done. You fought the good fight. You made it. Well, you just sort of want to struggle through life and limp through life, dragging all this sexual baggage and brokenness. Which will you choose? Similar implications for the dating person. Some of you are dating. Some of you are engaged. That's wonderful. But sometimes, sometimes we think if we're engaged or if we're dating, if we're in a serious relationship, then we can just give each other a few down payments, you know, before the thing happens. I don't read that in my Bible. Maybe you got a later edition of something, um, but I don't read that in my Bible. What's obvious for the single person is obvious for the dating person. That is, no sex means no sex. No wiggle room there. No sex means no sex. It also means, no, you know, the sexual making out and the sexual stuff that crosses lines and gets you all aroused. Listen, that, listen, that's, that's sinful. That's going to mess you up. It may seem innocent. It may seem like, you know, we're, we're monogamous so we can do this. It's going to mess you up. 
You say, well, I'm going to marry this person. We've already got rings. You know, let's just, why don't we just, why don't we just get a place together and why don't we just live together? Let me just be clear that the Bible doesn't say that it's, you know, sinful to live together. I don't think Jesus has a problem with living together. It's the sex that he has a problem with. It's how you constantly ruin your witness and ruin your integrity, how your, you know, your, 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 your good is being evil spoken of. How your credibility is weakened as a follower of Jesus. How your children get to see that this is acceptable all of a sudden. I know the Bible says that, but they're doing that. So, you know, what do I believe? There's a whole long list of things uh, that comes along with, you know, living together or shacking up as, it, as, as, as they call it. It's problematic. It's problematic. You can't keep your hands off of that person when you see him, you know, periodically throughout the day. What do you think is going to happen if you share an address and you share a bed? Oh, we just kind of just make this work until we get married. You know, you sleep in that room, I'll sleep in this room. Good luck. And some of you chuckle because you know it's a joke, man. It's a joke. It's a joke. I told you we're going to deal with some stuff today. I want you to be mad at me because I didn't write this stuff. I'm just reading it to you. I'm just a messenger, but I want you to be free. And some of you love the Lord. You love the Lord. Your heart beats for the Lord, but you got this thing. And this thing is going to rob you of all the blessings that God wants to give you. He's going to rob you of all the stuff that God wants to pour out. He wants to use you. He wants to just turn your world upside down. But you won't let go of that thing. You want to live with that person. You want to have this little sexual thing over here. And you say, God, rock my world, but just don't go in that room. You know, that closet right there, just, just stay out of there. I got some stuff in there. I'm going to keep that. I'm saying the Lord wants you to attack the gray areas. He wants you to take some action. For the dating person, particularly those that have decided to live together, I don't care how it straps you financially or how unpleasant it is or how um, inconvenient it is, you probably need to move out. You probably need to move out. That's probably not what you want to to hear, but you need to probably move out or get married. I think it's wonderful when two people hear the word of the Lord and it so reaches their heart. They say, you know what? I was planning to get married, uh, you know, six, seven months from now, a year from now. But we got to do this right. Either we got to move out or we got to get married. I know I'm going to marry you. This is the person for me. Preacher, let's get this thing done. I've seen it happen recently. And it's with joy and pleasure that I do those marriages. It's with joy that I do it. Because I know the word of the Lord has hit somebody's heart. They said, you know, I got to change something. I got to rearrange some things. So some of you dating folks need to take action. Some of the action might include, you know, you know, some clearer, more defined boundaries. We're not going to have sexual intercourse. That's a little too broad of a boundary. Okay. You might need to, you need to rein that thing in. You know, I just, you know, look back on my wife and I's dating relationship and I think, you know, you know, our boundaries were in many ways just too broad. It was too broad. And, you know, if I you know, think about what I would tell somebody as it relates to the boundaries they should make, and I just feel like we just gave ourselves a little too much, too much room in, in, our, in our dating relationship. I just realized we did, we did. 
when I talk to people now, I said, listen, listen, you snuggled up in the dark under, under a blanket watching a movie. That doesn't end well a whole lot of times. You know, you're spending the night and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Listen, that, that's problematic. And maybe there's somebody out there that can do it and that have successfully done it. Fine, that's awesome. You, you know, you have to stand before the Lord and give an account for your heart. But you also have to give an account for the witness that you bore in front of the people that are watching you. People who perhaps aren't that strong, who can't do that and be okay. So the Lord, of the, the Lord doesn't leave us in the dark about this stuff. He's speaking to your heart. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can sense when you're doing something that God is not pleased with. The Spirit of God that's alive inside of you testifies to the character and the nature of, of the living God. And oftentimes he's saying, ah, no, I don't know about that. No, about, I don't know about that, man. Take some steps back, dude. Go, go, go put some cold water in your face, dude. Run out of that apartment. But guess what? Over time, you can dull the voice of the Lord. You ignore it so much or turn up the other voices in your life. You can do that enough to where you won't even hear God's spirit. So I'm just telling you there's some action that needs to be taken. Now there's married folks. Let me talk to married folks. Here's the obvious thing that Jesus leans into, Scripture leans into over and over and over. You get to sexually drink from one well. One well. One well. That's actually, that's in your mind, one well. And I tell people, listen, you, you're choosing too quickly to get into this marriage. You get, one, you get one shot. You better slow down and make sure you choose wisely. Can I just say as an aside that a lot of this baggage comes because we've, you know, we've started having sex too soon in, in, in the timeline of the relationship. Do you know that sexual, sexual, sexuality and sexual attractiveness was not necessarily uh, one of the criteria that should have been used to pick a mate? Did I say that clearly? Let me say that again. God never intended for you to be choosing a mate based on how sexually satisfying they are, they are to you. God knows that that can complicate things. You start having sex and all of a sudden, rather than focusing on the things that you should be focusing on to make a decision about whether you should marry a person or not, all of a sudden you think about how they're good at that one thing. And how they made your toes curl that one time and how they're really good at that. And all of a sudden you've, you've ignored the fact that the guy hadn't had a job for 10 years. Losing sight of the fact that he loses his temper quickly and he has a wondering eye. Or that that young lady, is just, she's real loose. She's real loose. She's real flirty with every. You, all you're thinking about, man, this girl is with me. She's a fox. Man, we really, when we do that thing, we really connect. And all of a sudden, you've lost sight of all the stuff you're supposed to be really evaluating. I just felt like I had to say that. Back to married folks. You get one well to drink from. One. One. That's the obvious thing. Jesus says that. He says this, and you get one wife. You get to engage sexually with one person. One person. One person. But sometimes, sometimes we, need, we need to deal with the gray area, right? 
the gray areas. Like, man, that person that is really, <laughs> this person that I work with, man, there's really something there. All of a sudden, I'm looking forward to going to work. I'm staying later at work. All of a sudden, no, we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything yet. I just enjoy our hugs. I just, you know, I love when she wears that gray blouse. Just kind of, you know, I love our lunches together. And you go, wait a second. You've dipped off into something and you went back away from. I'm talking about this gray area that will destroy your marriage. That will destroy your relationship with Jesus. It will saddle you. It attacks you in ways, man, that you don't want any part of. I'm talking about the gray area. Pornography, the, you know, the, the, that, that other realm that you like to dip into when everybody's asleep. Or on your break, when you're in your car, on your mobile phone. I'm talking about that stuff. So you're drinking from another well. You're, you're drinking from another well. You're drinking from another well, and it's going to tax you. I guarantee it. Maybe all the, you figured out ways that you won't be detected. You figured out, you know, if you go on YouTube and you can look at some stuff on YouTube or you can look at some stuff on this or, or that. Listen, it's going to tax you. It's going to derail you. And Jesus says, listen, deal with this gray area. Find out what it is for you and bring it into the light of God's word. Bring it into the light of accountability with another person. Bring it to cross. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. Bring it to your spouse. Deal with the gray area. How do we take action as married folks trying to deal with this obvious stuff? And how do we deal with this gray area? Listen, we talk about one well. We get one well, right? So listen, you know what makes you say, wow. You know what makes you take a second look. You, may, you know what piques your interest. And I, my, my advice to you, married guys and married ladies, you better run in terror from anything that tries to come between you and the person that you have. Run in terror. Do I need to go back to what Jesus says? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand, your good hand causes you to sin, then chop it off. Chop it off. Some of you, it's, it, it complicates your longevity, your fruitful longevity as a couple and as a follower of Jesus to work where you work. There's somebody you like there too much. And you're just one drink away from just throwing it away. Some of you, you've, you've, you've got this besetting sin, this habit that you keep going back to, keep going back to, whether it be pornography, magazines, internet, whatever. It's going to complicate your fruitful longevity. It's taxing you. And the Lord says, stop it. Some of you, you have cable and internet. And just, you, you like those luxuries, but they're causing you to stumble. A stronger person can handle it, but you can't. How will you deal with it? What will you cut off? What will you distance yourself from in order to be whole, in order to be healed? Listen, my wife and I, just we've set up boundaries in our relationship. There's systems in our relationship to keep us from falling. Don't be offended, ladies, if, if, if I don't, listen, I don't ride with women in my car alone. I don't do it. There has to be like a murderer behind you for me to stop and let you in my car. Just don't be offended. And if I stop, get in real quick and lay down. We'll, we'll get there. But outside of those circumstances, it's not likely 
that I will give you a ride anywhere because I, 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 we got a system. And I represent this church. I represent my family. And everybody doesn't know that you're just a sweet person from my church that I'm giving a ride to. All of a sudden, everybody's like, well, that's not Shannon. That's not your pastor. <laughs> that's not Shannon in the car. My father had adult daughters that he was never alone with publicly because a lot of people did not know that those were his daughters. That was his personal boundary. That was his personal thing that he, that he put in place so that he was not ruining his witness for the gospel. Now, that seems extreme, but whatever you got to do. We're not just going to be having lunch, you know, at Panera. I'm not going to meet a woman alone. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Some of you ladies, you arrive early in the morning to set up, and sometimes I have you wait outside. I said, listen, can you wait till another person gets here? Because we've set up that, you know, we won't be, al- we won't be alone in this building with a person of an opposite sex. We've just, for your safety and for ours and for the, for the good name and reputation of this church, we just put some things in place. Every password I have, my wife has it. There's nothing off limits for her. You can thumb through my phone whenever you want. You can check my email. You can go on my Facebook. You can do whatever you want. We share, we share, we have a joint checking and savings accounts. Listen, there's nothing that I'm trying to hide here. And if you find yourself building in all of these places and spaces in your life and in your marriage where something can be hidden, then listen, you're heading the wrong way. You're heading the wrong way. I mean, I look at TV news every year to somebody that I really respected, preacher, big church, lots of influence, throws it all away. And I go, man, if that can happen to that guy, fear the Lord enters my heart. And I say, man, that can, I'm just one mistake away. I'm just one mistake away from throwing it all away, throwing it all away. If I don't take some action, if I don't deal ruthlessly with those things that will make me stumble, things that will make a fool of me, discredit the gospel because of me, listen, I got I to deal with it. I got to take some action. And you married folks, listen, we got to do some stuff. We got to take some action. We got to cut some things off. We got to run from some things. We got to run towards some things if we're going to make it. If we're going to make it. What's the big picture here? The big picture is this. Much of what Jesus is asking us to do when he says come to him is to die to ourself. You can apply this to anything that we speak on, any subject that we speak on. This is highly universal. Die to yourself. The you that you would be apart from Jesus, you got to die to that. And the you that you were when you came out of the pack, which was sinful, selfish, and if you just sort of float on the lazy river of life, you will fall off of the waterfall. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. Luke 17, verse 33, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you let your life go, you will save it. That doesn't even make sense in our natural, uh, natural sense. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by entrusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dying to self. Laying it all down. And picking up God's ideal. Picking up his standard. You want a thoroughly converted Christian mind? 
You want a thoroughly converted Christian sexual ethic, you got to die to yourself. You got to do some painful things. You got you to gotta reach high for God's standard for sexuality. If you don't do that, it won't end well. Worship team, you can come up. And some of you are here today, man, and you are just a mess sexually. You, you're just a mess sexually. If, you, if I could just look into the, you know, the, 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 the spirit realm, I would just see you drug in here today, just a wheelbarrow, wagons full of sexual brokenness, sexual memories, sexual attachments and soul ties. Let me tell you something. You don't have to stay that way. This is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that when you come to Jesus and you lay that stuff down, you say, Lord, I tried it my way. I I need something better. I need something different. When you bring that junk to him, he exchanges that for his righteousness. He died for you. And not only did he die for you to deal with all the sin that you've ever committed, he, he, he gives us new life and he gives us instructions so that we don't have to live that way and we don't have to make the same mistakes. Who doesn't want that today? Who doesn't want that today? And Jesus would say today, are, are you tired? Are you tired of that stuff? That satisfies for a moment but taxes you in ways that you can't afford? Are you tired of that? You want something new? You want something different? You want to live differently? You want to have peace? You want to have life? You want to have freedom? Of course. Come to me. I'll exchange that stuff for my righteousness. And some of you are feeling guilt right now. You're feeling shame. Some of you are feeling condemned. That's not from Jesus. Jesus has new life and forgiveness. There's hope in the gospel. Hope. But we got to change some things. we got to lean into this today. And if you're willing to do that, Jesus will meet you there. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for how it moves us to action, causes us to change and be changed. Father, I just pray that you would touch each and every person here. This affects each and every person. And I pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would stir our hearts to lean into what you would have to say to us today, to deal with the areas of sexual brokenness, to deal with the obvious things that we've annoyed, uh, ignored, to deal with the great, gray areas that we like to sort of swim in, Father, and give us the strength and the courage to take action. Father, carve out in us a Christ-centered sexual ethic so that we can be healthy, whole, nothing missing, Nothing broken. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.